Welcome, everybody, to episode 21 of The Hopeful Majority. I'm your host, Manu Meal. Remember, every Monday, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, we're producing episodes for you so that we can fight outrage, build nuance. And I want to take a quick moment and take a step back. This episode's going to be different. We're not going to have a regular conversation like we usually do because 20 weeks have passed. And I want to take a moment to reflect. And the central question that people have been throwing our way is, Manu, why do you actually care about building The Hopeful Majority? Take a moment to just talk about why you. Because I've asked every one of our guests why them, about what they care about and why they're driven. So I actually want to answer that question. Importantly, with the tragedy unfolding in Israel and Palestine and the terrorist attacks and the humanitarian crises, I actually want to try my best to actually demonstrate why I care about the whole for majority with the fallout of that conflict. And I hope you'll bear with me before we get into that. I just want to end the introduction with a deep, deep debt of gratitude and thank you to everybody that's taken the time to listen, to turn on this show. I know you have so many different places you could go, but the reason why this one's important is because I think this is an oasis for building nuanced, productive conversations across lines of difference, not so that we sing kumbaya or agree with each other, but so that we can better understand each other to build that very ambitious democracy. I also want to take a moment to thank Duncan, the man behind the scenes who's been putting all of the hard work and producing producing the short clips, putting together the episodes. I appreciate all the work that he's been doing. I'm so proud of you for what you've stepped into. This is a very uncertain journey because everybody should know I never wanted to do this. I have a day job, which is leading Bridge USA, which is a national youth organization helping college and high school students have conversations. And so thank you for jumping into this. I was never interested in public speaking, but I felt compelled. And you ask, why do you feel compelled? Well, I'll see you right after this music. Cue the intro because we're about to get into the monologue. Why do I care so deeply about the hopeful majority and having these very productive, honest, sometimes difficult conversations? So when I was, you know, thinking about doing this reflection episode, originally we were going to do a general questions and answer. Uh, just take a moment to reflect on the journey of the 20 weeks, the fact that we've had people like Vivek Ramaswamy on as a presidential candidate, Andrew Yang. We're going to have Marianne Williamson on next. We've had folks like Ibu Patel. We've had young people like Isabel Brown and Amir Odom. We've had policymakers, historians. I wanted to take a moment to talk about that, but it feels a little odd to be talking about pluralism and democracy and hope and empathy and humanity without addressing and talking about that work in the context of the Israel-Hamas conflict, the terrible attacks that happened in Israel and the subsequent response and now the humanitarian crises that we're seeing unfolding and the pain of people across the world. It felt odd to not talk about that. And importantly, I want to outline this with the fact that just as all of our conversations have been, it's not time for hot takes. That's enough. No hot takes. Put a cold blanket on hot takes. Wet blanket. Whatever blanket you can find. The objective for me here is to articulate why I think it is so important for us to be building our common humanity at a time of deep division. And I felt like this conflict is one more extraordinarily tragic, sad example of why we need to be doing this across the world and in our communities. So at the outset, I'm going to say this is not going to be perfect. You might disagree with some things. That's all right. That's the point. But I want to. I want you to stay with me here because I want you to just give me some space to be able to articulate and then you can respond in the comment sections and think through this yourself. But the four reasons why I so deeply care about doing this work and building this hopeful majority, especially given what's happening in Israel and in Palestine. 
And I'm going to also start off by saying that I have no personal connection to this conflict. I have deep sadness and my heart breaks. And it was so devastating to see what was happening. But I don't have personal connection. I don't have family members there. I don't have loved ones that have been directly impacted. I have a lot of good friends that are on various uh, ethnic backgrounds on this conflict. So I see their perspective. But I want to say that as well, because on Twitter, I'm seeing people use their personal credibility as a way to make issues and arguments. Um, and so I don't have a bigger right to say what I think about what's happening, just like you. So I want you to know that, that I don't have a personal connection to this conflict. I'm simply somebody that's observing, who's heart's breaking, and who's thinking about how we can build a world in which pluralism succeeds. Four reasons. The first of why we launched the Hopeful Majority, why I do my work with Bridge USA, is that our ideological filters, our ideological affinities, our boundness and deep strength and tie to what we believe and care about, oftentimes I think blinds us from condemning pure human tragedy, from seeing what's actually happening, seeing the facts. And here's what I mean by this. When the terrorist attack happened by Hamas on Israel on October 7th, the amount of people I saw that ran to their camps to make their hot take without for a moment just remembering that we're all human and what happened was such an attack on humanity such a tragic loss of human life in the most abhorrent ways. We should see that condemnation. And we should not have to defend why. Because that is us putting humanity above our side, above our ideology, that that was wrong. The amount of times that I see in our American domestic politics, politicians, young people, older people, political leaders, celebrities, influencers, business leaders, you name it, run to the side without even taking a moment to just recognize what's happening. Putting our ideology, our party, our political agenda above country, above people, above the human race. It's so sad. And it's not only sad, but it demonstrates how deep our polarization crisis is, how deep our level of affective degradation towards one another is. The fact that we can't see our, each other's common humanity. And so the first thing I would say is that we have to be able to condemn what happened because it's not ideologically convenient sometimes, but I think it's morally the right thing to do. It is about humanity. But here's a second piece. Now, I know you're listening to this. You're saying, Manu, what about the suffering of the Palestinians? What about that? What about the fact that there's deep pain, that this conflict has context? Well, now I'm going to run to the other side because you know me. If you know me at all, this is what I do. I'm going to run around and go to the other part of this issue, which is that we have to be able to say that this was tragic, that, that we have to condemn it, and then give it some time. And then you got to take the next step, which is analyze why did this happen? What is the context? How do we achieve peace? There's a quote that I have to show you by F. Scott Fitzgerald, which says, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. Well, if you took F. Scott Fitzgerald's definition for first-rate intelligence, I think our human civilization might be at like the fourth rate. Maybe even the fifth rate. I don't know. Why do we live at this moment where we can't acknowledge two conflicting thoughts 
and reconcile those two conflicting thoughts. That one, this terrorist attack was terrible, it was abhorrent, and it represents the worst in humanity, and that Israel has a right to defend itself and exist. And at the second time, this notion of the Palestinian suffering that has existed for years, and the idea that over the last week, the amount of Palestinian civilians that have been killed as innocents is terrible. The fact that we can't say one, we have to say one or the other, or you get shredded, the fact that if you say that the attack was terrible, and then suddenly everybody says, well, what about the Palestinian suffering? Or if you say Palestinians are suffering, there's context, this conflict, we have to uncover why. And then you get shredded for saying, well, you obviously must not understand the, the, the core violation of humanity that exists on October 7th. Well, what I would say is I think both can be true in this case. And this is not both sidesism. There's a difference between both sidesism and recognizing two levels. One, the terrorist attack was terrible, it was abhorrent, and Israel has a right to respond. And two, step two, chronological. If you're on Spotify or Apple, you'll see one fist is up here and the second fist is on the second tier. Tier two is, and at the same time, this was not something that justifies and thinks and we have to think about what happens next the suffering of people across the board that's the second reason why i build the hopeful majority and i care about this work is we're losing our ability to have nuanced conversations that are complex here's the deal humanity humans are imperfect beings with complex identities multifaceted feelings desires emotions you name it of course Things are complicated in human nature. And the only reason I bring up the conflicting thoughts concept is because the way we create peace, peace, because I think that's what all of us want. The way we build a world of peace is by being able to recognize atrocities and call them out for what they are, by being able to understand context, by being able to analyze, by being able to think. And now this is not just about Israel Hamas. This is now bigger. Human society and democracy now take it to the American context. If you remember in episode two, episode three, we said America is the most ambitious democratic experiment in the history of humanity. 330 million people, all of whom look different than each other, different ideas, different backgrounds, different ideas, ethnicities, heavily armed, trying to make it work. Well, if we can't hold conflicting thoughts and if we can't navigate the nuance of human reality and our lived experiences, there is no way this democratic experiment works. And I so badly want it to work because I love the notion and concept and idea of America. And I think the only way we strive there is by reducing our ideological affinities and thinking about the commonality of humanity and the problems and the pains. And importantly, by being able to hold conflicting ideas and nuance, especially at times where it's so difficult. Third thing I'll say. Actually, let me take a quick step back. Last thing I want to say on that second point is I also said that I don't have a personal connection to this conflict. When we think about nuance, we have to also ask, who are we asking to be nuanced? I'm not asking the folks that have been directly affected by this crisis. How could I? I don't know if I would have the capacity to. But I'm asking the people like me, those of us that don't have a direct personal tie to every issue, who can take a step back, who have the capacity, the privilege, call it whatever you want, 
And this also applies to domestic issues in the United States, whether it's about race or LGBTQ issues or trans rights issues, or you name the culture war issue that you care about, free speech, religion, faith, whatever. Someone's got to hold nuanced conceptions of reality. The third thing I'll say is that this conflict is one more example of this notion that the loudest voices in our society dominate the conversation while the what I call the temperamental middle, the exhausted majority, the silent majority, whatever, of people stay quiet. And then suddenly what you have is that you have the loudest voices across the political spectrum dominating a conversation, and you lose every conception possibility for nuance. So what does that entail? In the United States, I often talk about it in this way. We have the left-right axis. And we often talk about our divides in the left-right axis. You know, where do you stand on the left spectrum, the right spectrum? People often think, well, Manu, what you must be trying to do is create a squishy ideological centrist, have everybody run to the middle. Well, no, because I think what actually unites you and I is not our ideology, is not our what, it's our how. How are we engaging? How are we expressing our views? And so therefore, I think there's a y-axis in our politics. And at the top of that y-axis is zero-sum politics, zealotry, ideological rigidity, you call it, whatever that it is my way or the highway. And at the bottom of that y-axis, you have apathy. And what I think what we need to do is we need to create what I call the temperamental middle. The middle of that y-axis, the people that believe we need to be open-minded, we need to be tolerant, we need to listen to each other. The only way we create better ideas is by a conflict between really productive ideas. That disagreement is important, but the question is how are we disagreeing? That are we disagreeable at the end of a conversation? And I think that's actually most people in the world. And so our job is to create the temperamental middle that exists across ideology. This is not about creating centrists. You should have really strong beliefs. You should care about things. We should have convictions. The question is, how are we expressing those convictions? And that is the essence of this work. And this conflict is one more example of the temperamental extremes, not ideological extremes, temperamental extremes dominating the conversation, preventing us from being able to understand how we can actually present a solution for peace after the conflict is over. The final piece I'll say is I think that one of the reasons why I deeply care about this work is because human nature is fragile. And this conflict shows and is one more data point of the fragility of human nature. The ability for hate to take over and blind us You know, one of the things that I think about is that I think that humans have as much of a capacity to be motivated by hate as they do by love. Abraham Lincoln talked about the better angels of our nature. Seeing those terrorists pour over on October 7th is just one more example of the power that hate has to drive us to abhorrent actions that we would never think humans are capable of. And at the same time, thinking about the suffering of people for decades, human nature is fragile. And right now, I think every incentive in society, and this is specific to American politics, points to dividing, to hate. We are incentivized to provide our hot takes on social media. We're incentivized as cable news anchors to say, maybe not what's journalistically true, but maybe what the boss is like. 
you know, in our societies, in our college chapters, in our discussions, when we're having these on college campuses and high schools, that people are oftentimes incentivized to come into the room ready to defend their idea because we don't create these spaces in society. We need to flip the incentive structure of society. Right now, we are incentivized to divide. We are incentivized to create conflict. We are not incentivized to unite. We are not incentivized to love. And do you know how I know that? Because when you just heard me say that, you think that's cheesy as hell. Well, the fact is that I think most people like you and I are united around what I call that temperamental middle. It could be anywhere ideologically. You could disagree with me on a bunch of things. But that temperamental middle needs to be loud. It needs to be vocal because the only way we prevent and preempt continuous disarray of our social and societal fabric is by being able to see each other's common humanity at this moment. So I want to conclude with this, which is the purpose of this show. This is not about me. This is about all of us. The only way we build that temperamental middle, that hopeful majority of people that are out there that want to be able to have productive conversations across lines of difference, that want to be able to have nuance, that want to be able to care for each other, especially those that we actually disagree with. Those of us that want this American experiment to succeed because it is so damn ambitious and so damn unlikely in the scale of human history is by all of us being loud, being vocal, advocating, being able to call out those temperamental extremes, those voices that are nullifying any chance for nuance and are mechanizing the outrage industrial complex, the conflict profiteers. Those of us and those people that are out there making money off of our ability to turn against each other, we have to challenge that. And that is the objective of the hopeful majority. It's not to take ideological stances. And importantly, it's not to try to create the squishy centrist middle. It is to empower the best parts of our nature to be elevated, to rise, to challenge the temperamental extremes because they are dominating the conversation at the expense of all of us. And this democratic experiment that is the United States and democracy across the world will only thrive and succeed when we can navigate the nuances in our nature. We can see each other's common humanity. We can hold each other's conflicting thoughts and our disagreements. We can navigate the rivers of nuance and complexity that exist throughout human nature to be able to build what is the most ambitious concept in human history, the idea of democracy. And that is why, my friends, I love and care about the hopeful majority and why I think it takes all of us. Now, you might have disagreed with some of the things I said, but I hope you know that I'm trying to come from a place of love, deep empathy, and an understanding that if we can't overcome our ideological blinders, if we can't hold two conflicting thoughts at once, to be able to navigate complexity, if we can't elevate our voices and prevent the loudest temperamental voices from dominating every conversation that comes up on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it, or if we can't defer to the love in our human nature, then the fragility of human nature is so obvious because hate overcomes us just like love does. That is why I care about building the hopeful majority. I'll see you next week because we've got marianne williamson on we're going to resume regular programming episode 22 democratic presidential candidate
The work is building. Things are growing. I appreciate you being here every Monday. Remember, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content, leave a like on YouTube, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, Apple, leave reviews, tell your friends about this work. Remember, we've got to fight outrage. We've got to build nuance. You and I together. I'll see you next week.